Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm going to be talking all about childhood today, so brace yourselves, depending on what that means for you. I have found that as a child therapist, I have sat on the opposite end of a couch for almost two decades now, and I have noticed and observed time and time again that parents ultimately start talking about their own childhood and how they were parented and how it influences how they're parenting their anxious child. And I have found that fascinating, and I've seen that in my own parenting as well. And I think that if you're human and you had a childhood, that inevitably your childhood is going to influence your parenting. And I think it's even more so when you have an anxious child, depending on your own history with your own anxiety or having relatives who have their own anxiety, that stuff influences us, whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we've even thought about it or not. And I want to spend some time today talking about that because I think it's so important for us to not just be a victim to this influence, whether we are influenced in a negative way or a good way, but how do we take that regardless of whether it's positive or negative or in between and, and use that with intention in our parenting? Because I have seen where there's not a lot of awareness of how the childhood plays into the parenting and it's actually it's becoming a problem and a barrier to effective parenting, especially parenting an anxious child. And I've seen where it's really good, but it could be even better if there was some awareness. So I wanna talk about how our childhood influences us, and especially with anxious kids and kids with OCD as well, so that you can, you know, maybe just spend 30, 40 minutes thinking about this, and really it doesn't take much to really just start to connect the dots and say, What did I like about my childhood? What did I not like about my childhood? What am I trying to emulate? And what am I trying to prevent? I mean, that's really the basic questions that you're going to ask yourself. So that's what we're going to get into today. Before we get started, um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can hit subscribe right now. And that way you will be notified every Tuesday when a new episode comes out. Also, if you're not following me on Instagram, I am really putting my focus and energy on Instagram right now, and you can follow me at Anxious Toddlers. It's not about toddlers, but that's my name. And I do IGTV, which is Instagram videos, every Wednesday. And so if you follow me on Instagram, you can watch my IGTV videos and get some quick parenting tips as well over on Instagram. Okay, so let's talk about childhood. Um, I want to talk about how we all come from a different perspective. So some of us loved the way we were raised. In fact, we might have loved our childhood so much that it puts pressure on us. We want to emulate our childhood. We want to be as good as our parents were for us. And so there is some pressure, some internal pressure there to to have and create this idyllic childhood that you had. So that's, that's one bucket. If I were to put these in buckets, that would be one bucket that parents are coming from. So that's overall good. However, sometimes that can add a lot of stress and guilt if things are not going as perfectly as it did for you and your childhood. 
The second bucket, and these are general buckets, obviously people can be somewhere outside of these buckets, but just to, to speak in simplistic terms, I'm just going to narrow it down to these. Um, the second one would be maybe you didn't like your childhood and you really want to do it better. You don't want to repeat what, what happened to you. You want to give your kids a better life. And so you're operating from, um, I don't want to be my parents and I don't want my kids to have a childhood that I have. I need to do it better. And so a lot of us are operating from that perspective. And then there's people who have, you know, a messy middle where they're operating from, you know, there were good things and bad things and I want the good things and I don't want the bad things. And, you know, just kind of the messy middle of your own childhood. And I would say the last bucket is someone who's like, what childhood? (laughs) Somebody who doesn't really want to dive back into that um, for whatever reason and really doesn't give it much thought. They're just kind of parenting, shooting from the hips, and you don't see the connection at all. So that's my very stereotypical buckets. Um, Obviously, that's super simplistic. But what I've seen over the years, almost two decades of talking to parents in my child therapy practice, I've noticed that almost inevitably, when I talk to parents, there'll be some reflection of their own childhood. Um, or their own experiences, either having been an anxious child and how they were raised and how they were approached through their own anxiety or their own OCD, or being the sibling of somebody who had anxiety or had OCD and how that impacted them and how that upset them or how um, that inspired them to do something different. So whether you were born with anxiety or OCD, or there were people in your family with anxiety or OCD, or anxiety and OCD did not exist in your family, and your child is the first one to show symptoms, that all impacts how you're parenting your child. So for some, we'll get into kind of like the different things that can happen based on your own childhood. I have seen um, some people will over-identify with their child's struggles, and so they were a child with anxiety, or they were a child with OCD and maybe their parents, you know, were old school and didn't recognize that they had an issue, didn't get them proper treatment, especially in the generations that were in the past. It just wasn't as common to get your kids help. It wasn't as common to get your kids into therapy, um, exposure response prevention and, you know, CBT. These were not approaches that were readily available um, back in the day, <laughs> like we're 80 or whatever, but And so you might over-identify with your child's struggles. Now, if you do over-identify, the slippery slope with that, okay, so first the silver lining, let's be positive first. The good part about that is that you get your kids. So I grew up, and I'm going to talk about me a lot in this, (laughs) so brace yourself, that's something new, but uh, I think examples are helpful and I think stories are helpful. So I grew up as an anxious child. I didn't realize that I had anxiety. Um, I didn't get sent off to therapy. You know, my siblings did, but I was never the focus. I was kind of that middle child who wasn't a squeaky wheel and there were bigger squeaky wheels in my family. Um, my father was mentally ill. And so I, I never got any attention. And so I struggled a lot and didn't know what I was dealing with and didn't really know exactly what I was dealing with until I hit my forties and realized, whoa, like I have acute social anxiety, like not just minor, it's very cute and it's uh, not too cute. So, so I, I can empathize with my kids. So when you get your kids struggles, that's really good. 
because on the on the positive end you understand what they're going through and so maybe your partner is like what is her problem what's the big deal why is that so hard or maybe they don't get like how can they do this you know how can they do a dance recital but then they're afraid to talk to people that doesn't make any sense but maybe to you because you have social anxiety it makes total sense because one is totally different than the other and so you can relate to your child, you can empathize with your child, and that is huge because you can validate their issues and you know where they're coming from. You don't have the big why or frustration that maybe your partner does. And so that's the positive. Now, the, the negative or the potential negative could be that you over-identify. And so when you see a little you instead of your child in front of you, when you see your struggles and you're having flashbacks, not literally, but little flashbacks of, um, that's a little me, you know, that was me, or I was just like that. And when you over identify, you can be at risk to over coddle and over accommodate. And you can want to smooth things out like you wish they were smoothed out for you. And part of parenting an anxious child is this tightrope that I talk about a lot, especially in my online class, uh, how to teach kids to crush anxiety, that there's this tightrope of balancing where you don't want to over-accommodate, but you don't want to be over-authoritative. You want to empower them, but you don't want to push them. It's, it's a very hard balance, but it's a balance that you have to constantly find and come back to because that's the sweet spot for being an effective parent to an anxious child is empowering and coaching, but also letting them fall and let them let them suffer a little bit so that they can pick themselves back up. Because if kids never experience suffering and they never experience their anxiety because you swoop in and you clear that path before they even hit that road so they don't know what a bump feels like, they're never going to learn how to develop skills. Now, if you're over-identifying with your child's struggles and you cannot stomach seeing them struggle, and so you do everything you can within your power to make them less anxious, to avoid anxiety-producing situations or OCD triggers, whichever issue we're talking about, then your child's not going to learn skills and they're, you're actually doing them a disservice. And so I often see this in um, separation anxiety. I see that more so than in other anxiety themes where the parent over-identifies with the child and they crumble when the child crumbles and they are anxious about separating from their child and their child is anxious about separating from them. It, it doesn't always work that way. Obviously, there's plenty of families where they don't have that dynamic and they don't have that component, but I do see that as a common theme that uh, parents who are, who are dealing with kids with separation anxiety may have their own issues from childhood and then it exasperates the situation because they're anxious too. Now, there's plenty of people who are raising kids with separation anxiety where they didn't have separation anxiety as a child and they're not over-identifying and their child just has that theme. So there is that. But you want to ask yourself, am I over-identifying? If you have a fear of throwing up, if you had a metaphobia as a child, the fear of throwing up, when your child's afraid to throw up, do you just agree with them? And do you both avoid throw up together? <laughs> or were you afraid of germs? And do you continue to be afraid of germs? And so you over-identify with your child's struggles and so you make sure that everything's clean and then basically you both are doing OCD compulsions together because maybe you felt like, well, my parents didn't get it, I get it, and so I'm gonna help them over-accommodate by making sure that they don't have to be triggered. So that 
that is a little risky thing is the over identifying um the good part is you can empathize but if you swing too far you can over identify and then you can wind up over accommodating because you don't want to see your child struggle now on the flip side we're going to swing all the way over to the left is the complete opposite maybe you had some old school parents and maybe you had some tough love and maybe it worked for you. And so whether you had anxiety or OCD or not, you know, you might have the mentality of what was good for me is good for my kids. And maybe some tough love, you know, will do my kids good. And so you're, you're operating from that perspective from your childhood. And so you might say, you know, if I did that to my dad, he wouldn't have tolerated that. Or, you know, I was anxious, but I didn't say anything to my parents because um, they didn't have time for that. And so if you were raised with a lot of tough love, you either may be identifying with that and saying, well, that was good for me. You know, maybe they need a little bit of that too. Or, and it's also messy because there's so many different renditions of where you can take a lot of this stuff. You can have people who had the exact same childhood and how it manifests and how they're raising their kids could be totally different. You can have four siblings and they're all approaching their children in four different ways, but it's still, it's all based on their childhood. It's just whatever they're taking from it, whether they want to emulate it or they want to be different or they just want to do the same or they're just not thinking about it. And so you can have other people who were raised with tough love and they did not like that. And so they want to do the opposite. And so they are swinging too far in the opposite direction and they're over accommodating and they are um, enabling their kids. There's no structure. There's no, there's no balance. There's no discipline. There's no empowering and coaching. There's just, you know, letting your kids be run by anxiety and letting your kids kind of run amok because you don't want to put your foot down because your parents put their foot down in a very harsh sort of way. The other thing that I see, and I'm just throwing out different things that I see just to get you kind of get those juices flowing and getting you to think about your own childhood. So obviously I could sit here for hours. There's a zillion different um, ways that childhood could impact how you're parenting. But these are just ideas and examples to, to get you to start thinking about how your childhood may play a role in how you're parenting. Now, if uh, your partner reminds you of one of your parents in a negative sort of way, I see this a lot. I kind of call it the seesaw parenting approach where the parent sees the partner parenting. Like let's say you you have a husband and he's very authoritative and your dad was authoritative. So you over-identify with your child because you know exactly how that felt. And so you swing in the complete opposite direction to um, make up for how your partner is acting. And so he is so strict and he's so harsh that I am like the, I'm the nice one and I have, I don't put my foot down at all. And, you know, I just let them do whatever they want. And I don't encourage them to fight their anxiety because their dad doesn't get their anxiety at all. So I'll just let them avoid whatever they want and not, not face anything because I have to, I have to like make up for what their dad is doing. So that balancing of your partner, I see that happening a lot. And what's driving that tends to come from childhood. So you want to look at your relationship with your partner and say, are they triggering anything from my childhood? Um, Because they inevitably will, whether it's good or bad, and it will impact how you handle that with your kids. 
It's all kind of interesting, isn't it? I think it's kind of fascinating. So in my case, my parents were very busy. Um, they had a very stressful life and parenting really wasn't on the agenda. <laughs> and so, you know, my father had mental health issues. Um, and I really, as I grew older, I saw them as very selfish because they kind of were just surviving. And my dad with his mental illness, um, you know, was very focused on himself and they didn't have time for kids. So they would often forget to pick us up. Um, we would be, you know, left at like a YMCA late at night with no food because they would forget to pick us up. We were really a side note. That's how I felt growing up and growing up as an anxious kid on top of it and having social anxiety where I felt like I wasn't important or I didn't fit in, or um, I was isolated. That type of parenting did not help. And so I have found with my parenting that I have intentionally wanted to show up for my kids. And so I am very sensitive about trying to be there for my kids, trying to be reliable, trying to teach them things and parent with intention. And nobody helped me with my anxiety. And so helping my kids work through it. So you can take your own experiences in your childhood and analyze them. And so I have analyzed that because you want to say, what are the qualities that I want to emulate as a parent? What are some of those qualities that I don't want to bring with me? And what are some qualities that are being driven like an undercurrent that I'm not aware of, or that I want to become more aware of that I'm not in control over. So um, my, my goal and my intention is to parent with love. I want my kids to know that they're important. Uh, I want to teach them about anxiety. I want them to not grow up and be 40 and have anxiety. I want them to have the tools and skills that I did not have. Now the undercurrent, the thing that I wasn't aware of until I really started to take a microscope and not like, you know, years and years in therapy, but just a quick microscope to say, what are some qualities that I didn't like about my parents that maybe is an undercurrent that's driving my parenting unintentionally? And one of those is that my parents were, were pretty selfish. Um, you know, their needs came first. A lot of times they would go out to eat and we'd have no food at home, uh, or they would leave us for hours. You know, there was not an awareness of, of parenting. And so selfishness became a bad word in my mind. And this is an undercurrent. So this, this is something that I was not aware of until, until recently, probably. And so I did not want to be selfish. And, and how I translated that is I couldn't do anything for myself. So if I was a mom, I need to be doing everything for my kids. Um, as a wife, I need to be doing everything for my family, my house, um, as an employee, well, I'm my own employee, but as a therapist, or in my business, I have to be doing everything for everyone else. And my needs were never, never came up. Uh, to me, that seemed selfish. If I thought about my needs, that seemed selfish. And so the undercurrent of my parenting was I can't take care of myself because that's all my parents did. And so now I'm not allowed to do that at all. So self-care to me, that seemed like a stupid word. Like, honestly, up until this year, self-care seemed like a stupid word to me. I was like, self-care equals selfish, which is totally not true and horrible. But I didn't, I swung in the opposite direction and was not allowing myself to take care of myself at, on any level because I felt like uh, I didn't want to be selfish. And so what is it for you? That, that was it for me. And it took me um, 
some quick awareness to realize that that's not okay and to put the oxygen mask on myself and that it's not selfish, it's okay that I'm allowed to take care of myself. And the more I loved myself, I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. The more I loved myself, I got rid of my social anxiety. And the more I took care of myself, the more empowered I felt and the better mom and wife I was to my family. And so it was actually holding me back. My inability to take care of myself was making me ineffective, ineffective as a mom, ineffective as a a worker in my job, ineffective as probably a wife. So I have worked on accepting uh, self-care, accepting that it's okay to take care of yourself and that's not being selfish. Now that's very specific to me. What is it to you? What's the undercurrent that you don't want to be like? So you're swinging a little bit too far in the opposite direction. And it can be different for each person. What intentions do you want to set for your family? And, and when you say that, it's like looking at what qualities do, do you want to bring to your family that maybe you didn't have, or maybe you did have that you really like that can be effective. And so if you over identify with your child's struggles, how do you bring that back a notch and still empathize with them, but know that you need to work on your own issues so that you don't see a little mini you in front of you. And that can be really hard. My youngest daughter is my most mini me ish. (laughs) She looks like me. She acts like me. She has the exact same issues as I did when I was a kid. And so it's very hard to look at her and not see me. In fact, when my brother met her, um, he was just like, oh my gosh, like it's like staring, you know, back into the 80s, 70s or 80s. Like she's just a mini me. It's like seeing a little version of me but she's not, she's her, she's her unique self. She's not me. And so when you look at your kids and you see you too much, so you have to pull back and say, but they're not you, you know, they are their own genetics and they are having their own unique experiences and you're not reliving your childhood through your child. They're having their own unique childhood and you're the parent. And so what kind of qualities and attributes are important to you in your family. And they can't be everything because you can't be everything to everyone and you can't do everything. And so setting unrealistic goals is only going to set you up for failure. So you pick a few that are important. So in my family, um, building skills for beating anxiety and OCD is really big because there's a lot of undiagnosed mental health issues in my family uh, tree. And I don't want my kids to be a victim to anxiety or OCD not like I was or other family members, I want them to grow up to be mentally healthy. So that's a big goal. We talk about it a lot. We work as a family about beating our anxiety and crushing our OCD. And, and that's, that's, that's an important theme in my house. Another one is travel. When I grew up, we, we didn't have any money. My parents were very busy, you know, with my father being mentally ill and just like them not having any money. And so we never, we never went on vacation. We never had any family time. It didn't feel like a cohesive unit. It felt like we were all surviving. So travel has become a very important aspect of my parenting. I want my kids to travel. Um, that's number one priority. I don't care what car I drive. I don't care how big my house is. I don't get my hair done. I don't get my nails done. I want my kids to travel. I want us to travel. We have the best experiences when we travel. And so that's a priority for me in my family. I don't want my kids to think I'm their best friend. And so that actually comes from my childhood. So my mom, even though she was very uh, self-absorbed, she 
also had a weird personality where she would really kind of, uh, we were made to be like her confidant. And I think I've talked about this before. And so she would take us out to eat one-on-one and we felt very special, but then she would talk about the other kids. I think I talked about this when I talked about um, how to foster sibling relationships. I talked a little bit about how my mom um, kind of pit us against each other. And so that, again, plays into my parenting, that I will not let my kids talk about each other with me. I'm not going to join in and we're going to all talk badly about one of the other kids because I thought that that was not okay when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I actually thought it was cool and I thought that I was like bonding with my mom. But as an adult, I look back and I think that's not okay. Nobody should talk about their kids with their other children. So that drives my relationships with my kids that we are, I'm not their best friend. I'm not their confidant. There is definitely going to be a mother, daughter, mother, son dynamic. I don't want to be best friends with my kids. I want them to have a parent, not a best friend. So what are your intentions? You know, and if you pick just a few, because I think if you pick too many, it'll get overwhelmed. What are like your top three parental intentions, like your top three goals for being a mom or a dad, what's important to you? So for me, it's being reliable, it's traveling, and it's teaching my kids life skills so that they become really good human beings. Uh, if I had to say, you know, what my top three are, those would be my top three. And they're all driven from my childhood. My parents were not reliable. We didn't work on our anxiety, and so we all were victims to it. And we never traveled. We never had a cohesive unit where we, I felt like we were bonding. So what are your three? Pick three intentions and then what's your undercurrent? What is something that may be driving your parenting that comes from your childhood that you're really not 100% aware of, that you're starting to notice and something that you could work on that is, you know, kind of a ghost in nurseries type of thing. So I thought it would be a good episode to talk about this because a lot of it impacts our children's anxiety. I have had a lot of parents, um, get uncomfortable with, you know, doing challenges or exposures or having their children sit in discomfort. And a lot of it has to do with their own childhood and their own discomfort of seeing their child in pain. And it has nothing to do with their child. A lot of it has to do with the, the stuff that we bring with us when we birth our kids. And so how you're interacting with your child's anxiety or OCD has a little bit, a lot of it, to do with your childhood. So dive deep. It doesn't have to be forever. Just dive deep for a few minutes. Think about how it's influencing your parenting. And you can take the reins and you can say, I can't control that my childhood is going to influence my parenting, but I can control what I'm going to do with it. So how do I want to have my childhood influence my parenting? And what are my intentions? And they're going to be based on your childhood, but what are my intentions for my family, for me as a parent? And what are the undercurrents that I want to get a hold of? And so it's not an undercurrent. It's something that I'm aware of and it's something that I can change. And so tap into it, go deep, because the healthier you are emotionally and physically, the better you are going to be for your kids. So the more I do some self-improving and the better my life gets because I'm okay with myself and I get myself, the better mom I am. And so it's like almost like a side note. It's, it's like the end result of something that I'm not even focusing on. Like I'm focusing on being the best that I can be. And we never stop growing as adults. We never stop growing. 
Um, We can choose to not grow and that's kind of sad, but really you can be growing and developing and understanding yourself until you die. And hopefully that'll be in the nineties or when you're a hundred. So you've got a lot of time and no matter how old your kids are, you have a lot of time in that arena as well, because you're always a parent. You're a parent when your kids are 30, you're a parent when your kids are 40. Um, So you're not running out of time at any time. You can change your relationship with your kids and your parenting. So hopefully this has opened up your eyes a little bit to something that you hadn't really thought of before, or maybe not this deep. And, um, you know, it can kind of alter the path of where you're headed. So I hope you're having a fantastic day and I hope you found this helpful. If you're enjoying my podcast, if you can hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume my podcast, I greatly appreciate that. That really helps other people uh, learn about the show. And if you have a couple of seconds and you leave a review about what you enjoy about the show, I greatly appreciate that. I appreciate it so much that I always end my show reading one of them. I want to thank Pinup Girl. She wrote, I came across Natasha Daniels on her Facebook page and quickly learned that I'd only hit the top of the iceberg of her wisdom in the area of anxiety and OCD. I quickly found myself following her everywhere and for And of all of the things she does, these podcasts and her YouTube videos have been an actual lifesaver for my daughter and I. We've been searching and searching for the right therapist to get the beast that is OCD to loosen its grip on my daughter's life. The struggle is real. I was feeling so frustrated and disappointed that I couldn't help my daughter. Then I found this podcast and it has been like a weight has been lifted from my shoulders. I've been listening to the podcast and my daughter and I watch one or two of the YouTube videos and discuss them afterwards. Thanks to Natasha, we now have a language to use to communicate about the OCD. Beforehand, my daughter just about refused to share anything with me. Thank you very much for everything you do, Natasha. Well, thank you for that awesome review. I really appreciate it. And there are many places to follow me. (laughs) So I appreciate you following me in all of those. So if you have a review and you have something to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope you find a sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you guys again next Tuesday. Take care. I'm a mom of a daughter with OCD. I live in South Africa um, and it's a country that doesn't have a lot of resources for children's mental health and specifically OCD. Really was at my wit's end on how I'm going to support my child, how I'm going to do ERP, how I'm just basically going to, to parent a daughter with OCD in a country that has little to no resources. And at times it got just debilitating for us as a family and I was super lonely, Um, people weren't listening, I didn't have any support. The AT community has been an absolute lifesaver. Natasha has been instrumental in the past few months in helping us set up ERP challenges, going through them step by step, being supportive each and every step of the way. Joining the AT parenting community has been one of the best things I could have done for me and my family. Uh, Natasha has built this community and It is exceptional. I've learned so much. The support is fantastic. It's it's just been life-changing for my daughter. Um, It's so nice to be able to ask her live questions in office hours. She's there. She responds. Uh, Her live videos every week where she asks us what we need her to talk about. Uh, Also her forums, again, where you can ask questions. She's on there all the time. She is very present. The resources she has had provided, the worksheets, uh, there are so many things in this AT parenting community that are beneficial. Natasha gives you so much of her time and her expertise. She's there to answer your questions, so it's such a personal 
way of getting help and support when it's much needed. Personally, the community has helped me because I feel like I needed my support. And then you have the added bonus of this fantastic community of parents who are going through such similar things and suddenly you're empowered and have ways of accessing help and making a real difference to your family. And also just the support of all the other moms and dads, it's really good, you know? We laugh together, we cry together, we fail together, we succeed together, um, and, and everybody gets it. Everybody gets it, and it's such a nice community to be with, and I hope you join us. You won't be disappointed. Try it out. To learn more about how you can become a member of the AT Parenting Community, go to atparentingcommunity.com. Thank you.